We ask every single student to record themselves for one minute and look at themselves and really think, you know, how do I see myself as a problem solver? And then after coding instruction, we did the same thing. We also asked them to, to record themselves and their results were astounding. I truly believe, and I guess we'll look at this later, but I, I think it could be a national model. I think what we have here is information that's valuable to early learning centers. We're hoping that after we present their research that we can even take it further and share it on a national or world scale. This is just a taste of some exciting research being conducted about coding in schools in the United States. There's plenty of anecdotal evidence around, but what exactly is the impact of coding on students and what are some of the best ways to measure it? Well, stick around for the next 20 minutes or so and you'll get to hear some fascinating stories. This is Leading Change, the Technology in Schools podcast. It's an in-depth look at how leaders in schools and the education space deal with the rapidly developing technological age. We take you on a journey through the planning, implementation and evaluation of technology-rich learning environments. Among those sharing their stories in this episode are Dr. Doretha White, the principal of Berkeley Campus Della Early Childhood Centre in Norfolk, Virginia, and Dr. Michelle Schmitz, who's the principal of Epic Elementary in Liberty, Missouri. Dr. Doretha White has long had an interest in the way technology enhances teaching and learning. And that's the exciting part about technology. You can't get bored with it. I'm still excited. I'm towards the end of my career and I, I feel like with this program, I'm just getting started. The program she's referring to is DAMAC, which stands for Developing Amazing Minds through Apple and ConnectEd. As the principal of Berkeley Campus Della Early Childhood Centre in Norfolk, Virginia, Doretha visualised and initiated the DAMAC program. Through the program, Berkeley Campus Della has transformed the traditional classroom into an exciting and innovative digital learning environment. Doretha believes children are capable of anything as long as you give them the right tools. I truly think we're a model for a 21st century preschool. We believe that college begins in pre-K. We believe that we have to instill our boys and girls with that mindset that they can be productive citizens that will be able to be successful and to contribute back to society. The DAMAC program wouldn't be possible without Connect Ed a U.S. government initiative that aims to increase the use of technology in public schools. Berkeley Campus Della Early Childhood Centre applied for a grant under the initiative and became one of 114 underserved schools in the U.S. to get one. As a result, it was able to become a one-to-one -one iPad school. Because of all the wonderful things we've done with the grant, we actually love, love, love this one-to-one -one platform that we have. We have been so innovative and never in my career would I have thought that we would be a connected school. So I am truly riding high right now in cloud nine when it comes to education transformation. So Doretha, to get a better idea of how your school operates, can you tell us a little bit about how it runs on a daily basis? 
We are teddy bear country. Teddy bear country, we are the teddy bears. That is our mascot because we service children in an underserved community, pre-K three and pre-K four children. We have approximately 200 children. We have a full day kindergarten program. Our children arrive at nine o'clock in the morning and they leave at four o'clock in the afternoon. So we have a day of instruction, we have an hour of nap time, and we have afternoon uh, activities and snack. We also have free lunch and free breakfast every day as well. To prepare Berkeley Capistella's kids for the future, the school has a big focus on coding. During Teddy Bear Coding Tech Tuesday, three and four-year-old students work with coding apps like Scratch Junior, Hopscotch, Tinker, and Sphero. Once a week, we decide which coding activity we're going to implement. We provide the professional development for the teachers. We collaborate and discuss the best way to implement it. So we start with whole group instruction, where the teachers teach the app using the Apple TV. They mirror it from their MacBooks. So they interact with the children that way. And then they bring them to small group instruction, where they work with their iPad and the teachers doing small group during that time. And then at the very end, we have independent practice where the children are manipulating uh, the coding activity by themselves. For the four-year-old advanced learners, there's a chance to spend extra time coding in the teddy bear coding lab. Three days a week, they'll go in for 30 minutes and we set up a maze and we actually, um, they have the Caterpillar, the kinesthetic hands-on Caterpillar. They have the Sphero, and they actually have to manipulate those objects throughout that maze using coding techniques to be able to be successful. So we do a lot of hands-on with the coding and actually on the iPad as well. Some of those kids are also working with Swift Playgrounds, which is more commonly used for older students. We actually had six kids last year that were engaged in Swift throughout the whole year, and that was just unbelievable. Because of the ConnectEd grant, accountability is even more important to Doretha than it already was. And so she's taken a lead role in a research project on coding. With support from technology researchers at Boston College, data was collected at Berkeley Campostella for 13 weeks from January to the start of May 2018. The main research question was what impact does a teacher's capacity to code have on a child's choice to code? Two data points were addressed. Data point one was, okay, when a child is in the class working with the coding and once the teacher gave them their individual time, how many would stay on the coding app? Okay, so small group, your child, the children were able to either stay with that app that the teacher taught you, or you can choose any other app. And that was data point one. So we measured how many kids stayed with the app, how many children went to another app. So our thought was like, if they were truly motivated, they want to learn more. If not, we're going to go to something else we like better. So we measured that. And then on Fridays, we had data point two, where the teachers had 10 minutes and all they did were get to give the children their iPads. So you have your iPad, what are you going to choose? And then we collected the data on how many chose to code. Then came the qualitative part of the research, looking at the teacher's thought process on coding. 
So we surveyed the teachers, we did a pre-survey and a post-survey. And we also had um, videos. We took two teachers, videoed them at the beginning, got their input about coding, and then we videoed them once they completed the project. And those are really neat to see because, you know, a little attitudes at first. <laughs> and then at the end, it was like total excitement. I love, I love watching it. It's, it just says a lot about the project. And the same thing with the children. At first, they really couldn't even verbalize about coding. And then at the end, oh, we can just tell you everything about the app. Now you're probably waiting with bated breath for the full results. Well, you'll have to wait until December 2018 when they'll be officially released. Doretha, however, has been kind enough to give us a taste of what to expect. I can tell you there is a significant impact that a teacher's capacity has on a child's choice to cope. Doretha, I know we can't expect to get any more out of you at the moment about the results, but can you explain why this research is so useful and important? We just don't want to be just piling on what we think will work, but we want to look at the research and look at how it fits and the validity in the research. Because anything we bring in our program, we want to make sure it makes a difference in a child's quest for lifelong learning. So we truly want to make sure that what we bring in to our school has the value added to it, that it makes a difference and it uh, transforms teaching and learning. We are not complacent in Teddy Bear Country. I truly believe, and I guess we'll look at this later, but I, I think it could be a national model. I think what we have here is information that's valuable to early learning centers. Um, we're hoping that after we present the research that we can even take it further and share it on a national or world scale. We still have people that, that are just mesmerized locally that our kids are able to do what we say. I mean, you have to actually see it to believe it. Even when Doretha does see it, she says the students truly blow her mind every single day. The look on their face is priceless. The excitement for teaching and learning is amazing. I mean, you would think you giving them an ice cream cone when they see the feedback from the app where it gives them the stars and the sparkles and the sounds. And I mean, the whole multimodality uh, response to the child is just perfect, but it's priceless to see the looks on their faces. I mean, you just, you fall in love with it. And you know, it's a motivating factor for the teachers too, because they know they're truly making a difference when they see the excitement. The excitement, the joy of learning, the joy of teaching and learning is evident. And that's every day here. Let's now head to Liberty, Missouri and Epic Elementary, which opened in 2014. Epic stands for Every Person Inspired to Create. The public school encourages students to think big in an innovative, technology-infused learning environment. There's a one-to-one -one iPad program for the 300 students. They also have access to a MacBook lab. Students are chosen by a district lottery, which means the school is equipped to cater for all types of learners. We strive in meeting kids where they are. So it doesn't matter what your background is. We know that if you come here, we're able to meet you at your level. We're able to tap into your creativity and have you become the best that you can be. That's Epic Elementary Principal, Dr. Michelle Schmitz. 
She's always wanted to do education differently. It's always been a passion of mine to get kids outside of the classroom, to have kids creating, and the dream has just grown and grown. And so our school has taken on that dream and we're actually getting to do what we've always wanted to do. Epic is a place where ideas are born and tested for the entire district, so it's no surprise the school places a big emphasis on coding. Susan Maynard is the blended learning coach at Epic Elementary. Coding is a necessary language. Not necessarily are we thinking that, that every child needs to be able to code every website and know every language, but just knowing that it's the digital language of today and understanding how it works and to be able to th your use computational thinking is something that we find from a very early age we are very committed to because whatever they decide to do in life, our world is so digital to be understand the back end of it and be able to navigate is important. We also find that they're problem solvers when they're coding. Coding lessons at Epic Elementary were initially scattered throughout the curriculum, but just a few years later it's fully immersed across all grade levels. From kindergarten to grade two, there's a focus on sequencing and loops using iPad apps such as Codable, Tinker and Scratch Junior. Christine Torres is a second grade teacher at Epic who always relishes the chance to teach coding. The great thing about second grade is that they've been here for two years and the coding they do in kindergarten and first grade is amazing. We had high schoolers coming down the first year we were open that couldn't believe that the kindergartners were doing the same thing some of them were doing at the high school level at that time. They love it and I think what it also teaches them, what Susan mentioned too, was the problem solving skills. What they're going to need in the future is learn how to problem solve through tough situations. And we also talk a lot about perseverance and how something can be difficult, but they keep working through it until they can get it to success. So, I mean, it's been amazing to see what they can create. Last year, I think one of our favorite projects that we did was actually partner with our fourth graders. We call our classes studios, and so Studio 4 came down and worked with second graders to teach them how to code and use Spiros and had them go through mazes. Um, have them, we had them create sumo wrestlers with them, <laughs> with each other. They did some fun projects where they worked with an uh, older student to kind of help them. By the time students reach grades four and five, they're right into swift playgrounds and scratch. Principal Michelle Schmitz says all the students at Epic have really risen to the occasion, which allows the school to move beyond coding in isolation. And I think that's really um, exciting for us because now we have kids that are coding stories and they're able to tell their story through coding. And I think when we start to embed coding in what we do, it becomes a part of our environment and it becomes natural instead of an isolated thing that we do at one point during the day. A great example is JJ's Awesome Story, which blended learning coach Susan Maynard says was developed by a then first grader. He really struggled with focus, but he was a phenomenal coder, uh, specifically on Codable, and then he played with Lightbot, and then he was on Scratch Junior, and he started coding these stories, and they were so, they were, they, you know, they had a beginning, middle, and end, and they had a conflict, and, and it was all with the little mouse and the, and the, and the coding, and so I had an opportunity with him to take his, his story that he had coded, he had put it all together, we videoed it, we did a screen recording, brought it into iMovie, and recorded him voicing over the story. I'm going for a walk, 
I go over a bridge, I find a castle, I play around in it for a few minutes, I go to a bridge, I look at both sides, I go to my friend's house. What was really behind that was that it was a little boy so smart and struggling to figure out kind of how to do it all and found such confidence in his abilities and he's he's grown like tremendously that boosted his confidence that's what we always think about that that um, and he's not the only one there's been several other amazing stories of the types of things that the kids are doing while stories like this are so valuable epic elementary also has the data to prove the positive impact of coding on its students as michelle schmitz explains it all started in 2016. Through Apple, they have a what's next that goes on. And so we were invited out to be a part of a research team. 12 schools in the nation were invited to do this. And at that time, we were just starting, really diving a little bit deeper into coding. We used to use isolated programs throughout our school, but we really start to think about what if we used a certain language and what if we really taught kids um, what it looks like and so at that time Swift Playgrounds was coming out and so we just started asking ourselves questions what does it do for our kids how can we prove it to others that coding is uh, what we need to do at Epic Elementary what we thought about is you know coding has a lot to do with problem solving and computational thinking and so in that regard we we started uh, looking at the question how do i see myself as a problem solver in life and that was what our research was based around epic trialed the research among the grade four students at the beginning of 2017 it officially began in august of that year and finished five months later in december we ask every single student to record themselves for one minute and look at themselves and really think, you know, how do I see myself as a problem solver? And then after coding instruction, we did the same thing. We also asked them to, to record themselves and their results were astounding. So looking at that, we also asked them questions. We found a survey um, through one of our researchers and we asked the kids to fill out the survey and they started with a baseline at the beginning and then at the end after their coding instruction they took the survey again and so those uh, results were astounding to us and also astounding to to apple so that's kind of how our program went along that way astounding is pretty good can you take us through the results michelle before coding instruction, we looked at how students uh, view themselves as problem solvers, and only 43% of our students said positive words about themselves as problem solvers. So after coding instruction, 78% of our students said positive things about themselves as problem solvers. They really believed in themselves as problem solvers. In the beginning, we also asked them to identify problem solving strategies. And in the beginning, we had 38% of our students able to list two or more problem-solving strategies. After coding instruction, 88% of our students listed two or more problem-solving strategies. And the best part of the research, 100% of our students gave at least one problem-solving strategy that they use. Susan, how about you? How did you react to those results? Were you surprised? Yes, I was surprised. I will say, though, that we were pioneering this kind of project. I'm not sure I even had many preconceived ideas. I was excited to just see where they were at the beginning and where they were at the end. I spent a little more time during the year in the classroom with the teachers and with the kids. The truth was, 
we were all crossing over into this special world of coding and none of us really knew what we were doing. So I got, uh, as teachers, we spent time learning. You know, we went through the iTunes U course. We went to the Apple store. We, um, we learned ourselves. But what we found is that we were learning alongside the kids as well. We also realized how much uh, kids began to migrate and move towards um, kids that were on their same level. So for example, we kind of let them go at their own pace to work through the puzzles and the lessons that were part of Swift Playgrounds and how easily kids that would sort of, you know, were ready and going, they would kind of move at their pace and then they would kind of find each other and work together when they were stuck. And then we always had a few kids right around us that just weren't confident yet, that needed us to help them and encourage them and help break things down for them. That surprised me more than anything is how, what the autonomy of the kids really just was a, was such a shining moment to watch some of these kids and it was a group of girls and a group of boys that both had you know just moved fast and you could see they were like well, what puzzle are you on well we're on this puzzle the one thing we noticed this was not part of our research study per se was that kids that were strong in math were much more comfortable moving forward and could figure things out. Uh, again, that was just a, something we noticed when we started looking at just kind of observing in the classroom. So that was a nice little, oh, you know, wow, there is possibly some correlation there. For Michelle Schmitz and the entire team at EPIC, this research has been incredibly important. Well, I think the real value is really being able to have a story that we can tell way beyond the numbers it really validates what we do in the classroom and uh, what we do outside the classroom because here at Epic we say the world is our classroom. And so what it tells us is that K through five, we are not only developing coders, we are developing problem solvers. We're developing computational thinkers. And so it just gives us a platform to keep on moving forward. We saw kids shine that didn't normally shine in the classroom. It gave them a new light in the room which was amazing for kids, and so it gives them the ability to show their talents in a different way. Even though EPIC has released the findings, the research is continuing, and the school's instruction and research methods are expanding district-wide. For Susan Maynard, there's a lot to look forward to. We are so excited about what's still coming in our own growth, and having the devices and watching the kids take leadership then we kind of know that we just need to be alongside them and keep pushing them. So overall, just we just look at it truly as an as exciting journey that's going to keep unfolding. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Leading Change, the Technology in Schools podcast. If you've got a moment, we'd be really grateful if you could give our podcast a rating on iTunes. For more information about Berkeley Campostella Early Childhood Centre and Epic Elementary, you can visit our website, leadingchangepodcast.org. You can also visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Leading Change Podcast and on Twitter at Lead Change Pod. I'm Kate Arnott. Thanks so much for joining us.